think of the gift of faith so that when we think of the children of Israel, even through the Old Testament, when we think of God choosing a group of people, you see, that used to stumble me as a new Christian, that God would choose a people. But actually, it was symbolic. It was a metaphor for choosing us, that God's chosenness would be so particular, but that it will also encompass all of us. Only God could write a story like that where he could use a nation to be emblematic of us, the nation of God, sons and daughters, right? And then, obviously, in Genesis, we see that Joseph gets promoted, right, in, in the story. And he gets promoted, and then he brings all the people to Egypt with him. And then... The Israelites grow strong in number, and the the new Pharaoh that did not know about Joseph then imprisons them and then takes Moses to deliver them out. And here we are in what we're going to be talking about today. The children of Israel are wandering in the desert without a home, and even Moses is allowed to see the promised land, but he is not allowed to enter into it. He was the greatest prophet. And even he is not allowed to enter into it. And so this is where we are today in Joshua chapter 1. So we're going to just read. We're going to skip around because the story of Joshua and Caleb is, is between Numbers and Joshua. So we're going to skip around a little bit. So Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 to 9. So Moses dies. And now they're at the border of the promised land. But Moses is gone. And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm given to them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness, And the Lebanon, and as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea in the west shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall lead this people to possess the land that I swore to their ancestors to give you. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. There's a lot of Moses in here. (laughs) Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, so you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And it is very interesting that in the calling of Joshua, there's a lot of Moses. It's based on, he's, he, he, it's not that he's Moses part two, but he's continuing along the story that God is doing with the children of Israel that he, that he promised to Abraham. See, God has a story and an intention in mind. So he's, so he's continuing along with Joshua. Now, I always wondered, what if Joshua, like maybe some of us, would be like, well, what about my story? <laughs> I know that's what you do with Moses, but what about me? It sounds ridiculous, but actually we do that a lot, 
right? Because we are not tied into the story or the narrative of God in our lives. We're more interested in what is God doing specifically in me and with my talents and what is he going to do? And can you imagine if Joshua responded sometimes the way we do? Yeah. And so it's a very interesting thing to see that Joshua was caught up with the narrative of God in his life so that he was able to somehow take on the mantle and get to the promised land that we'll see later. That is an amazing reality that when God creates us, he has already has a story in mind for you and I. And so it is not so much that we need our own vision See, what happens is vision is like this. God is painting a picture, and then he gives us a slice of it, and that's what we call our vision. But then we act like that's the only vision sometimes. But see, what, what's really important is it's God's vision, and then we catch on to something, and then we give our life to it, right? And all of us do that in completely different ways. And I, I want to suggest to us today that many of us, are struggling with our vocational calling, sometimes even our spiritual calling, sometimes even our family calling, because we're, we're afraid to be caught up in God's bigger story for our life. And we try to dissect and find our calling based on, you know, the little small desires of our heart. Important, but still small. Important because they can change your life if you allow it to disciple you. But still, relatively speaking, small in comparison to what God may really want to do with us, right? I want us to be excited because we can be a part of a deeper narrative. God has a bigger story in mind for us. You know, last week, I had dinner with a couple, uh, a close family friend of ours, just to give you guys some context my dad's my dad is a hindu he still is but you know for right now and uh my my mom was a nominal christian when she came when she got married that's why she married a non-christian <laughs> and she used to laugh about it too you know because she would always tell my brother and i make sure you marry a woman of god because the thing i love the most i can't really share with my your your dad but you know my dad's uh, he was never against Christianity. He was always for our faith. Thank God. He was always supportive. But as a result, when we, when we all immigrated as a result of the Civil War to America, we, there, was a, there was a small group of Sri Lankan people. Now there are more. But at the time, there was a small group of Sri Lankan folks that immigrated at the same time. We became very close with them because they became like our family. So much so that many of us didn't have many resources. We were poor. I remember there was a microwave oven. It was brand new. I probably got from Fedco. You remember that? Fedco. <laughs> That's how old I am. So Fedco. And we would take it with us to where we go because those people didn't have those toaster ovens. And sometimes that's how they would cook. So we were very close to this group of people. Now, one of the people that we had, Lydia and I had dinner with last weekend, they're part of this group. Okay, she's a physician, uh, brilliant girl. And one part of the thing is because my mom's faith caught on fire when we came to America, the way that she looked at our Hindu families, and we had Muslims and Buddhists, the way that we looked at them, it was completely different now. It became her land, so to speak. 
right? She was a Montessori school teacher, but it became her land. So her heart was for these people. And one of the things that I inherited from my mom's heart after she passed away was these people. I inherited my love and care for these people. There's probably a group of 200 of them now. Plus, they all have kids, so more. And they're good people. And I, in, 15 years ago, when I first started doing music, I invited this girl to a concert that I was doing in New York. She was in medical school in New York at the time. I didn't really want to invite her because the concert was a very evangelistic meeting. Like, very. <laughs> oh, scary, scarily evangelistic. But I was like, you know what? I mean, she can at least see me perform, and then if she didn't like the altar call, we can talk about it later. And, and, and God moved, and at the end of the night, we went to dinner, and my, the sound guy was a friend of mine. He was a part of the team that invited me there. And he was sitting in the back, and I was here, and she was sitting right there. Long story short... They dropped me off at the airport. That, the next few days, we're all hanging out. They dropped me off at the airport, and three years later, they're married. Okay? And this girl had been wrestling with her faith for, for years, actually. We would talk a lot. And through that relationship and through what God was doing, she actually went to Church of the Redeemer, and Tim Keller's wife was actually the, the one who eventually brought her to Christ. And... Here I am last weekend, they have three children too, we have three children too, and I'm in their house, and I see like children's Bibles all over the house, and I had to walk outside because I couldn't hold my emotions in. I couldn't believe that, that I was standing in the middle of my mother's dream for people. And it's not something that I actually conjured up with my own skill set. I'm actually a part of my mom's dream for, for these group of people. Sometimes we, if we just see the dream that God has created before us, then we will find our calling much easier to grab onto. It wouldn't be so elusive. And actually, the same thing is with my music career and also our business. For context, I'm an artist. I'm a musician, for those that don't know me. And my wife and I also have started preschools. That's our primary vocation. Okay? Music, when we came to this country, the only reason why we're in Pasadena is because my uncle was a rock star in Sri Lanka. Seriously. He's a big deal. Okay? He's a very interesting character. In the, seven, in the 80s, he was like, this island is too small for me. I'm coming to America. He came to New York. That's where I guess you did music back then. He came to New York, and he chased a girl all the way to northwest Pasadena. So when it's the Civil War in Sri Lanka, my dad calls him. He's like, we got to get out of the country. He's like, yeah, I'm in this place called Pasadena. And yet, how dare I think that I've created a life for myself? Nothing, nothing in my life is actually quite the result of me saying, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. Sometimes I'll think that way, but that's actually not how it worked. And today I do music. It's in the legacy of him. Guess what? Mom and dad were prominent lawyers in Sri Lanka. They came here. Dad started working at Sears and mom got a job at a Montessori school. And today, we 
run Montessori schools. So nothing in my life is my own. Nothing, right? You and I are products of a much bigger story at play, and this is exciting. Now, this is not to say that you are limited by your parents' trade, so to speak. You are not limited by, you're not limited by the circumstances that you have. Some of you have come from very traumatic backgrounds, and in some ways you're running away from that. And that's okay. This, this doesn't mean that you're not allowed to do that, okay? It just means that there's a bigger story at play. And it's very significant that God didn't just choose one person. He chose a group. He chose a people. Individual, but collective. Okay? So I think we're far too quick to break off from the nation, so to speak. We're far too quick to break off from the legacy of those that came before us. And a lot of times, a lot of times, we find our originality after we imitate. In Joshua 1.8, it says that Joshua will be successful if you don't depart from the law that Moses gave you. And this is just a quick side on discipleship. You know, a lot of times we don't like being discipled or mentored because it seems like we're copying like we're trying we don't like living another person's life right (laughs) that's good don't live another person's life but i would say that you know even in music and sports you see the best artists the best athletes tried to be like someone else they imitate their moves right they imitate what they used to do and then somewhere in the future of their development they become different And we see this. Chapter 1, God says, imitate Moses. Chapter 2, Joshua starts functioning in his calling. And he starts becoming a commander. We don't have time to look at it. But he starts doing things according to the way that God is working in him. But I want to encourage us in 2024, as we're being mentored, as we're being discipled by people in every aspect of our spiritual life, some of you might even be your vocational life, it's okay to go according to what the people that are teaching you are doing. It's a very good thing. Your originality lies in your stride. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, it's not just something that's in you, it's something that's developed. Originals are developed in the future as they practice and they move forward, right? So, all right, that was just truly the intro, okay? I'm sorry about that. But we had to get some things in order before we can move forward. So today, I want to know, why was the spirit of Joshua, why was someone like him the one that took the mantle? And of course, of course, God will do that as he chooses. But there must have been something about Joshua that was attractive to God, you know? That God was like, I want to use Joshua. There's a spirit about him that I, want, that I want Moses to lay his hands on so he can move forward. And it comes in the story of Joshua and Caleb. Caleb more explicitly. Um, and so that's what we're going to jump into. So we're going to go into Numbers chapter 13. And we want to know, what does it mean to have the spirit of a Joshua and or a Caleb? So we're going to read, and again, I'm sorry, I will be skipping around. 
So Numbers 13, 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each of their ancestral tribes, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Okay, so they're going to go spy out Canaan. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them leading men among the Israelites. You're going to skip to verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up there into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land they live in is good or bad and whether the towns that they live in are unwalled or fortified and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees in it or not. Very specific. Be bold and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now it was a season of the first ripe grapes. So Moses wanted to know. And then we get to verse 25. So they do all what they say. And after 40 days, they come back. Verse 25, despise. At the end of 40 days, they return from spying out of the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to them and said, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Yet the people who live in the land are strong and the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea along the Jordan. So they're giving a report, and in some ways it's true. It's true-ish, right? Verse 30, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are great of size. There we saw the Nephilim, the Anakites come from the Nephilim, and to ourselves we seem like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Then all the congregation in chapter 14 were going. All the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, What would we have, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. And that just makes me laugh a little bit. (laughs) And continuing on, we're almost done. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the Israelites, 
The land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the, land is, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of this land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. And so God, if you read on later, it is this juncture where God does not allow them to go into the promised land because the majority of the spies brought back a very fearful report. And if you read later, God tells Mo- first God says, I just, I'll make you Moses a great nation, right? He says, I'll just forget them. And Moses pleads on their behalf and says, God, please don't do that. Then Egypt will think that you're not powerful. And so God says, okay, then you're, the, the children of Israel will be in the wilderness for 40 years. No adult will get to go into the promised land. Anyone who was over 20 at that time would not move forward. It was only the children that would go and in, into the promised land, right? So this was the juncture that actually caused them to be in the wilderness. Now, I got to say, there's, there's a lot that we can talk about here. The first thing I want to talk about is, how come there's two different reports? And both reports, it's not like one is a complete lie and one is more true. It is true that there are giants in the land and some of the fear is justifiable. But, but that's not actually what was rewarded. And so we're going to look at Joshua chapter 14 really quick, verses 6 to 12. Because this is where we will see what happens after 40 years. So now Joshua has led them after 40 years into the promised land. And here comes Caleb at age 85. Okay, so he was about 40 when this happened. And now it's Caleb's turn to see the promised land. So Joshua 14 verses 6 to 12. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenesite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him, what, an honest report. But my companions who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, Yet I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever. Because you have wholeheartedly, other translations might say fully, because you have fully or wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. And now, as you see, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel was journeying through the wilderness. And here I am today, 85 years old. Here's what's amazing. 
I am still as strong today as I was on the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord said. Forty-five years later, he's thinking it may be. It still may be. It may be. And there's a couple of things here. They're, tw- they're, they're 40 years older. And God, before the children of Israel rebelled against God, you're thinking that they are right on the border of the promised land. All they have to do is take it. Now, Joshua and Caleb, Caleb in this context, knew very well what the intention of God was, that that land was for them. So the way that he brings back the report is based on what he knows that God is doing. Because remember, he says, God tells Moses, I have this land for you. It is my intention that you go conquer it. But so, so the thing about Caleb is he's in touch with that. So that when he comes to the border of the promise line, he says, we got this. It's looking tough, but we got this. Now, it's really interesting that some of us could be on the border of the promised land and everything that we've ever got, gotten received from God, everything that God has promised us, we're almost right there. And yet for some reason, the majority of people will leave and want nothing to do with it and sabotage the very thing that God has for them right at the border of the promised land, right at the border. That's incredible. It's incredible that you're right next to where you've always wanted to be and that you would sabotage it. I remember, I remember when I was, I did, I performed at the Walt Disney concert a few months ago in the summer and the thing that people told me the night that I was done is, oh, you looked, you were so comfortable up there. You, it looked like you, you were at home there. And what I haven't shared before, only Lydia knows, and this is very embarrassing, but we decided we we're going to do the concert in February. And then July was the date that was available. And once I realized that we're actually going to do it with no idea how we're going to do it and to get 100 people on stage and to pay for it, I, from March, February was exciting, but from April to June, I had, I had diarrhea for two months. <laughs> Nothing to do with what I was eating. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been so nervous for an extended period of time. And so Lydia was like, so how was it today? <laughs> and I got to tell you, I was really, really, really anxious. Doing things at a level that's much higher than you will put you into deep anxiety sometimes. Shouldn't, but it does. And the thing that people said at the end was, you look so comfortable. I got to tell you, it was only because of one thing. I had realized that we've gotten into something and I have two options. <laughs> I have two options at that moment. Am I going to fumble or am I going to walk in my calling? And at that time, 
the nervousness lasted right until right until the first note and then i the guy gives me my microphone we don't and and all of a sudden i realize that i'm at the border of a promise that god gave me and i have the decision to make i have a decision to make right then and right there well we might as well came this far now i think part of being up for it part of being like Caleb is to say well we might as well i know that might not feel very spiritual to you <laughs> there might not be many there might not be some theological books about it you might as well but i want to suggest to you today that in my life most of the things that we've pursued is i might as well <laughs> i've come this far <laughs> Either the people are going to be so disappointed in me for telling them to dress up. I remember the emails. I said, make sure people dress up. They're going to look so good and be so upset. Or I might as well give it everything in my limited ability and see what happens. There's in, in 2006, I'm not much of a football fan, but I do remember this. USC was, and I don't even like USC. <laughs> No offense to some of those that go there. USC was playing uh, Texas, I think, and Reggie Bush was an amazing running back. They were at the yard, the one yard line to get to get a touchdown. There was four seconds left on the clock, and I'll never forget what happened. Reggie Bush. Everyone was looking at Reggie Bush. He was the Heisman Trophy winner that they took away the Heisman from, but nonetheless, he deserved the Heisman. And he 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 had he they they would they everyone thought they were going to run a play for him and he'll just jump over jump over to get into the touchdown what ended up happening is matt leinart i think he was the quarterback he took the ball he was okay he took the ball and he ran it in and reggie bush pushes him pushes him and he leaped over the defense it was amazing but it remind when I, when i read this it reminded me of sometimes you just need people to push you in there you just need to jump into the promised land. Your promised land is right here. What are you doing? Go. Some of you are in marriages. God gave you the person and you're going through a hard time, but God gave you that person. Push yourself and work it out. Make it work. God has placed you in a land where things are hard. Make it work. In God, of course, make it work. Figure it out. Do whatever it takes to make it work. That relentlessness, that type of grit is Christian. <laughs> but most of my Christianity comes out in that grit, in that relentlessness. Your promised land is right here. Just go. If Reggie Bush has to push you in, then let him do it. If your friends and family have to push you, let it happen. Go. I want us to be friends like that to our friends. Push them over the push them over to get to the touchdown to get to the end zone, right? You have to when you're at the border of the promised land, the real fight is in your heart and you have to win that. You have to win what's happening here. When you see the giants, you have to win your heart. You and God have to battle it out and you have to win the fear that's going on in here. What do you think it was like for Caleb and Joshua, for that matter, to, to be in the wilderness for 40 years when it wasn't their fault? <laughs> it was actually the fault of everybody else. 
And what do you think it was like for the two of them to be in a context of complaining and grumbling for 40 extra years? And, 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 and I wonder if some of us are in the context where it's not your fault. Whatever is happening, it's not your fault. But for whatever reason, you are not in the promised land yet. But God, if, if it's true that Caleb can say, I have just as much strength now than I did 40 years ago, that means the wilderness time didn't defeat him. That means the time that he was there only made him stronger. He became more beastly. I think that's an appropriate word based on what he says. He became even stronger. He became, he really went from strength to strength. What happens in the, in the, in the 40 years when you are wholehearted and everybody around you is not? And I want to tell you something right now. If you wait on God... If you wait on God and you are wholehearted towards him, in a minute we're going to talk about what it means to be wholehearted. But if you wait on God and you are wholehearted, it will be worth it for you. I don't know your context and I don't know what's happening around you. I don't know who the people around you, the families, the institutions, the schools, whatever. But it will be worth it for you. I have a question for you. Is the vision that God has for you, sometimes I ask myself this question, if what happens that God has told me will happen actually happens, if it actually happens, will it have been worth it? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If, it's, if, the, if what God has told you will actually happen in the future and you had to wait all these years, will it be worth it? I have to tell you, for me, it will be. The things that I think are going to happen... I am so excited about it that if it happens, everything will be worth it. The thing that God has called you to, it will be like that for you. Now, will you question if it's going to be worth it? Of course. You're a human being. <laughs> will you have diarrhea? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you might. But I feel like God wants to give you and give us a piece of his vision this year, today even, to make you answer that question for yourself, will it be worth it if it happens? Now, on the contrary, you might be around Caleb's and Joshua's. There might be a Caleb and Joshua in your life or people that, people that you may want to be like, I don't know, whatever it is in your context. And you might think that by proximity to the Caleb and Joshua, I also will inherit the promised land. Unfortunately, you will not be grandfathered in when it comes to having a whole heart towards God. It doesn't work by osmosis or proximity. You yourself need that wholeheartedness towards God. And maybe some of you may be feeling like that. That maybe you, 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 you have seen a picture even. Maybe it's not even a person. But you've seen a picture of what it could be like to be that adventurous with God. And you've taken that picture and you've taken lessons and you've listened to 40 other podcasts about adventurous minded people. And you think that it's all of a sudden inside of you and that you will now see the promised land. And I want to say to you, but, you, but God wants to give you the spirit and the heart, the wholeheartedness of Caleb. That's what happens through Jesus. 
When you have a relationship with Jesus, you will be that. And you can grow into that, right? We are all, in a sense, Joshua's and Caleb's in training. And, and 40 years is enough for someone to say, forget about it. I'm tired. Move on. The thing about time, and I think it's really funny because I'm almost at, I'm, I'll be, I, I'm turning a milestone in a month. It's not 30 and it's not 50. <laughs> Somewhere there, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Can't even believe I'm at that space. But it's funny how time can do a work on us. Time can do a number on us. But Joshua, Caleb says, the Lord has kept me alive. Here I am today. I'm still as strong today as I was on the day Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then. And today, give me my piece of the pie. Give me what was said that I would have. I have maintained, I have maintained all these years. God is maintaining something in us today. God is maintaining something in you. I want us to identify that together. And the thing about the good report, okay? The good report that, that Caleb brought versus the rest, of his spy, the rest of the spies, it was not about being optimistic, it wasn't, it wasn't a glass half full measurement of the situation. It wasn't optimism. And so we want to go deep. We want to know what is it? If it, it, it it's not, I think we can, we can oftentimes think of our faith as how good do we feel about a situation. And I don't actually think that that's what was happening with Caleb. I think he was plugged into something. He was plugged into the promise of God in such a way that he was willing to deal with the fear and he was able to connect God to the fears. The God, he saw God much more than he saw the fears. Okay? And so we want to talk about what does it mean to be wholehearted? This way, when we see God's interaction with the challenges and problems in our life, how can we not be attached to the dangers in the same way? Because the dangers are real, and I don't want to minimize the big things that are against us. I, my, my wife tells me that I minimize things too much. I minimize worry and dangers too much. That's my personality. It's not my spirituality, Right? So I don't, want to, I don't want us to minimize imminent danger. But I want us to figure out what does it mean to look at it in spite of the threat. In May 2019, right before Soleil was born, actually a week before Soleil was born, we had just started our, our first preschool in Sierra Madre, um, in a, maybe like eight months before that. And we were building up our school and it was going really well. And then we got a letter in the mail. One, I remember one week before Soleil was born and it said from the board of the church saying, basically saying, we no longer want you at this facility. You have four months to finish up the school year or, or two months to finish up the school year and you're, you're done. We've decided that you're done. <laughs> And so I knew what it was about. It was because 
something small. We licensing wanted us to put a fence up, and um, the church didn't want a fence up, and it was quite a obtrusive. It was it was it was kind of it was a very inconvenient fence, but it was something we had to do. And I said, look, we have to do it. In fact, I'll pay for most of it. You guys have to pay for some of it because we don't own the land. But that, and then for some reason it overwhelmed them and we got a letter in the mail. They're very, this particular group of people, they're very decisive people. So when I saw that letter, really 90% it was done. Really, like truly, if I was to actually tell you the truth, it was pretty much like this. There's no way I can talk. I went, this is a Sunday after church. I went to the, to the, to the church. I knocked on the pastor's door and he opened it. It is a family house because I didn't have his phone number. So what is going on? He's like, I'm really sorry. The board decided. And, and what we had to do because, and then also Lydia was about to, going to labor so what we had to what i had to do and what lydia had to do is we had to figure out what was the promise of god for this location we had to get into that because if we didn't get into that we would basically be reacting to everything that they were telling us which was really unfair and we had been paying rent they were actually happy that we were there but for some reason usually it takes one or two people to mess up the whole thing right And at some point, you have to know God's story on your life. You have to know what God promised. And it was in this church where I received a word for the very address that we were there. But I had to go back to that. If you don't go back to that, then then you'll be at the border of the promised land. You'll be at the border of the promised land and you'll be like, never mind. And it breaks my heart. For all the places in our lives that we have been at the border of the promised land and we've relinquished control and desire even. And we've given it to the opposing side or whatever the opposing side is. And it was there that we had a, we, God gave us a strategy and actually Eric Madden, who was a part of this church and who passed away a, a year and a half ago, I think, two years ago, helped helped with the strategy and he's the one that actually ended up building the fence for us so every time i walk in that school i remember him his fingerprints are everywhere and bill actually helped too and so through god we had the wisdom of god pour into us we negotiated something and from may 19 remember covid was six months later or yeah four or five months later we actually positioned ourselves to have a great relationship with the church they apologized for the letter. They told us it was of poor taste. They invited me to preach at the church. And then our relationship with them has been great. And our numbers doubled as a result. And it's been a good sustaining school of about 100, people, 100 kids. And we're almost at the limit of licensing there anyway. And the, the, the reason why I tell you that is there are places in us when we are not wholehearted. And there's places in me too where we can easily give up. You know, just as we close, I'm going to just go really quick to a story that you know, Mark 10. And I'm just going to read 17 to 22, and it's about this rich man. And it's about being wholehearted. 
As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. I think it's interesting. It's, the text says Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said this. And really what it was doing is, this guy had a lot of things going on for him. He was doing really well with Jesus, except for this one thing. And I realized that the difference between wholehearted and small-hearted or even half-hearted could just be one thing. And there are things in us where we're just one thing away from being wholehearted. Because I told you that I'm on my way to a milestone birthday, I've taken these last six months to a year very seriously about what, is, what are the areas in my life that I am not wholehearted. I didn't label it that, but in light of this sermon, now I'm labeling it that. What is the, re, what is the place that I am not wholehearted in? And one thing, I've been studying at Fuller, there's nine types of mentors in our life, right? I think it was Bobby Clinton who wrote that. I'm not sure. Yeah, okay, it was. And there's nine types of mentors. And I, and I was looking at all the mentors, and there's this one mentor type that I, I had a problem with, and it's called the sponsor. Now, the sponsor is the type of mentor that basically opens the door for you to do something, right? Maybe gives you like a job, I don't know, can give you a job, can give you access maybe, it's another word. So I realized in my times with God that I have a gripe with God that I've never articulated. And that gripe is this, that I feel like he's never given me, he's never used human beings to open the door, in my life. I have felt, now it's not true because that's why it's an issue, <laughs> but that's how I felt. I felt like everything that I've done, I have, I have had to exercise my will and spiritual prowess and he'll open the door. But why don't you just use someone to open the door for me? It'd be so much nicer if someone opened the door and, and put their hand around me and said, Rajivo, I got you. Let's sign you to this record label. Here's a budget. Now go. Do, do your thing. It never works that way. And unconsciously, I can tell. I can't hide behind it. Actually, people that know me well can also tell that I have this issue and it shows. It might not show every day. But sometimes it comes out. Sometimes the entitlement of needing that from God comes. And it doesn't just come that way, but it leads to other sin too. Can lead to unwarranted anger, unwarranted frustration. It could maybe even make me a less than optimal husband, friend, you know, father even. I don't know. I don't even know the ways that it has come out. But God has told me, you are not going to be like this on February 23rd, 2024. 
when you turn 40, that's, you'll never even think about that. Now, he's got some work to do in the next three weeks. <laughs> and so do I. And so do I. But this is an example of how we cannot be wholehearted. You remember the story in the, of the talents? And you remember what the, 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 the I just remember the, the, one, the person who had one talent in this story. And I'm sorry if you don't know this story, but we don't have time. The person with one talent says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man and that you reap where you don't sow. So basically, and then it's interesting what the master says. Oh, you knew, did you? Then you should have at least done et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What Jesus is saying is, oh, you knew, you, you thought that that's how I was? Then I will respond the way that you think I am. And in a lot of ways, you can only be wholehearted towards God if you know whole, God's wholeheartedness towards you. If you don't know Jesus' wholeheartedness towards you, then you will sometimes act like I have and be partial-hearted towards him. And so maybe today what God is doing is he is showing you his wholeheartedness towards you. And in that, as he looks at you, he will remind you of the places that he wants to give you the peace of the heart that you relinquished back to him. Every time I look for, and I'll invite Daniel up if you'd like to lead us in that last song. Every time I have looked for a human being to open a door for me, I have basically given a piece of my heart to that person. Unconsciously, God will very easily give it back. But I have done that. And so what are the areas in our lives that we give a piece of ourselves away when God does not intend that for us, he wants to be our God. That was the promise that he gave to Abraham. He wants to be your God. Let's pray. God, we just thank you and praise you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that only you can give us a name, a purpose, a heritage, and an identity. We are so grateful irrespective of how good or bad our family life has been, there is a spiritual heritage that you have given each one here. It need not have come just through their nuclear family even. That because of what you did starting with Abraham, we by faith can claim a spiritual inheritance right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are closer than our skin right now and that you are here to repair all places in us that are now wholly after you. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be layered, but we give you the slice of our heart that we may have even accidentally given away. With, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if, if you feel like there's a piece that you want back, that you want to give back to God, that maybe you've 
given away unconsciously and you can tell because you're not wholehearted right now just put your hands up so I can pray for you see all of you come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit we pray right now Lord that whatever that is whatever entitlement that may be thank you Lord that we simply give it to you it's a simple transaction that could change our life Come, Holy Spirit. We are in need of your healing. Parents, you have 15 minutes to engage with God right now. Don't miss this moment, these moments. Daniel, you can lead us in that chorus. You are closer, closer than my skin. You are in the air I'm breathing. Here's where the dead things come back to living. I feel my heart beating again. It feels so good to know you are my friend. You are closer, closer than my. dead things come back to living I feel my heart beating again here's where the dead things come back to living I feel my heart beating again here's where the dead things come back to living I feel my heart beating again so good to know you are my friend. If you feel like God is saying that He wants to dethrone your idea of even people in your life because you you answer to certain people more than you even answer to God, just allow the Holy Spirit to Come and be closer than your own skin right now. Come, Holy Spirit, in all the ways that we can even put those people closest to us, in between you and us. We forget. We ask for your forgiveness right now. We thank you, Lord, that you gently come and you can put yourself back on the throne in our life right now.
thank you, Lord, that the repeated offense, the repeated offense is canceled today right now. In Jesus' name. From both us and from our brother and sister right now. That you are taking all places of bitterness right now and you are overwhelming it with your joy and your peace. Sing that one more time. desire to get out of the way of what you want to do. You paint a picture of what you can do right now. And we just get a hold of part of it right now. If anyone has a word, you feel free to share with the congregation. 